back in 2012, we actually made a commitment to move towards 100% renewable energy for our operations. The long-term goal for us is basically to be able to match our energy consumption with renewable energy capacity. The United States and Brazil announced an agreement on Tuesday, June 30th to get a fifth of their electricity from renewable sources by 2030. China is really putting down the flag here, saying we are going to dominate this industry. Well, currently 93% of our facilities worldwide run on renewable energy. Welcome to the Got Science Podcast. I'm your host, Colleen McDonald. Today we've got some good news. Renewable energy is on the rise everywhere, and it's cost-effective. That's our topic today. And this is our debut podcast in Espanol. We'll be airing selected podcasts in both English and Spanish over the coming months. Our correspondents, Maria Vidart and Abby Figueroa, will be interviewing Spanish-speaking experts on our usual topics, renewable energy, the impacts of climate change, our food system, science in the Trump administration, and a whole lot more. You'll find both versions in our podcast feed. Now, if that's too much upbeat news for you, stick around after the interview for another egregious example of the Trump administration's sidelining science, brought to you by Shreya Durvasula. Renewable energy is on a roll in the United States. Though it can be hard to remember that when our president has imposed tariffs on the solar manufacturing industry and insisted on bailouts for struggling coal plants, despite the fact that market forces are making coal unprofitable. But outside of the U.S., governments are actively supporting renewables, and large companies have long been taking advantage of the benefits of clean energy, reducing global warming emissions, better health outcomes, and cost savings. Wind turbines and solar panels are familiar sites not just in countries like Germany or Denmark, but in India and China. And innovations in energy storage are helping drive even more governments and businesses to choose clean energy over fossil fuels. The popularity of renewables abroad is good news for the U.S., too, Because however you feel about globalization, it means that many decision makers outside the federal government are paying attention to the cost savings of clean energy, and they want it for themselves. State governors, CEOs, mayors, they're taking notes and boosting the capacity of renewables within their own states, organizations, and cities. And I always say a rising sun shines on all solar panels. Here to discuss the details of this global shift is my optimistic colleague, Paula Garcia. Paula is an energy analyst with UCS and an expert in renewable energy trends. She joined me to talk about worldwide growth in clean energy, local growth here in the U.S., why we need to hurry up already to transition away from fossil fuels, and why natural gas is never the answer. Well, Paula, welcome to the Got Science podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me, Colleen. So I want to start big. What does the international landscape look like for renewable energy? Well, it's really an impressive, amazing moment for renewable energy. Last year, solar installed capacity was bigger than coal and nuclear and natural gas combined, just last year. And then in terms of cost, 
the cost of renewable energy technologies have been declining, declining in, in an amazing way. Like since 2010, solar PV costs went down more than 70%, uh, wind more than 25%, and energy storage more than 40%. So what we are seeing is that renewable energy is being selected as a cost-efficient technology to put in place in comparison to traditional technologies like coal and natural gas and nuclear energy. So what are the largest renewable markets? So I would say that in, in based on the numbers that we have from last year, China is definitely that huge market especially for solar energy. Just last year in China, uh, there was uh, 53 gigawatts of solar power installed. Uh, and that was an investment of more than $86 billion. So that's a huge market, but then we also have India. And then there are investments in other developing countries, but we are seeing that the developing world is also racing to the challenge. So, Paula, your background is in sustainable international development and industrial engineering. So, what do you consider the most exciting and innovative technologies out there? Well, that's that's a question that I really like. <laughs> so, one of those technologies is offshore wind, which is new for the United States, but is not new for Europe. Uh, right now, in Europe, we have more than 17 thousand megawatts of offshore wind installed. But the, the case in the United States is very different. We started, the first project happened in, by the end of 2016 uh, in Rhode Island. It was a project of five wind turbines producing three megawatts of installed capacity. End of 2016. Right now, what we have is that Massachusetts has a requirement of 1,600 megawatts of capacity. New York has a requirement of 2,400 megawatts. And New Jersey has a 3,500 megawatts requirement in place. So you see how it's growing, it's growing exponentially. And this is happening because the technology is showing to be cost-effective, affordable, and good for economic development for the region. So what about natural gas? So I've heard it described as a transition fuel, and at the same time, it feels like some are pushing it as a long-term solution. So what do we do with natural gas? Well, I think that especially a few years ago, people used to think that natural gas was really a good technology to transition away from coal. The truth is that we need to transition away from fossil fuels and the investments that we are doing now in natural gas are going to lock us in for years to come. In addition, uh, natural gas is still a fossil fuel that emits methane, which is also a global warming gas. So if we are serious about transitioning to clean technologies like wind and solar, natural gas is not going to take us there. So what are the most exciting projects you're seeing in the in the US and what makes them exciting? All right, so there are different, like I mentioned the different offshore wind requirements that are happening right now in the East Coast. 
Now, in terms of integrating large amounts of renewable energy like wind and solar, because we always hear, oh, but wind is not always blowing and sun is not always shining. Well, guess what? We have energy storage and we can store that energy that is being produced with solar energy or with wind energy. And uh, one of the largest, if not the largest project is located in Australia, it's a 100 megawatt uh, facility. And in California, there is a proposal to develop a project that is three times as big as that project in Australia. So it means that we will be able to integrate much more solar to the system through these kind of approaches. So that, that's one of the things that I feel also very excited and hopeful about. And then there are other things that are happening, like the transition from cars that have been traditionally fueled by gas to electric vehicles is amazing. Like just in 2016, we had more than 600,000 electric vehicles in US roads. And energy efficiency for sure is one of those toolbox that we need to keep on having in our toolbox. So going back to energy storage, that used to be a, a problem or a challenging aspect. So there are good options for energy storage? Well, there are a number of different options in terms of energy storage. Uh, there are like different chemistries that you could be using and it's all about the kind of service that you want to provide. Uh, like the, there is one of the technologies that is being most used right now is lithium ion batteries and that's working just well in plenty of places. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So what are um, the challenges to expanding renewables in the United States? I would say that from my perspective, there are two big challenges. The first one is that the federal government is not supporting and sending the message top down that the vision that we want to have in place is trans to transition away from fossil fuels to renewable resources. So, for instance, at the beginning of this year, the administration of President Trump put in place solar tariffs. and. The uncertainty of what was going to happen with that decision created a big problem for the solar industry. I, I must start by saying that this solar tariff was put in place with the idea of supporting the manufacturing industry in the United States. But if you look at the industry, at the solar industry in the United States, manufacturing is just a minor piece of the whole industry. So what has happened is that we have lost more than 10,000 jobs in the solar industry because of that decision. So that's one of those challenges. And then the other challenge is that I see that this administration wants to help the fossil fuel industry with an emphasis on coal and then it's like uh, analyzing different possibilities like for instance providing some kind of subsidies or a bailout to coal plants that are very old and that are not operating economically so it's very strange for me to see that this administration is trying to do that because it's going to have a bad impact for the health of the 
people that live in this country and not just in this country but for the world at large but it's also going to hurt the pockets <laughs> of the people that live here you know so those kind of things are like big challenges that are happening right now from my perspective and what do you see any way we can overcome these challenges absolutely that's the exciting part of the picture and it's a hopeful thing that is happening and is that cities and states are raising to the challenge and showing their leadership. So we have, for instance, that DC uh, has a commitment of having 50% of, of the electricity being provided through renewable energy by the year 2032. And DC is not alone. We have Hawaii that has 100% requirement of renewable energy, California is considering to join, join uh, Hawaii on this um, uh, great idea uh, to transition faster to clean energy resources. And we also have New Jersey, which recently strengthened its renewable energy standard to 50% by 2003. So let's say that that's one of those things that are exciting and that are happening right now. States showing their leadership, but not just states, we have the private sector also. And the private sector is wanting to have access to renewable energy because of the economics, because it's something that is affordable for them, that's something that is cost effective, and that also helps them to, to achieve their sustainable goals and other kind of commitments that have done in terms of sustainable practices. Uh, for instance, there is no surprise in hearing that IKEA and Google and Apple have a commitment of having 100% of their operation being supplied by renewable energy resources. But we also see some surprises like General Motors, which is based in Detroit. General Motors also has a commitment of 100% renewable electricity across their global operations by the year 2050. We'll be back in a minute with the second half of our interview. You're listening to the Got Science podcast, brought to you by the Union of Concerned Scientists. Now, UCS loves scientists of all ages and stages. But for the month of August, we're showing extra love to early career scientists. Check out hashtag earlycareersci, that's SCI, for shout outs, resources, and more. Now, back to our interview. So it looks like many of the cities have committed to 2030 to have larger percentage of renewable. Does that seem soon enough? All right, I will respond this in two ways. The first one is that some commitments are not, are not even for the year 2003. Some commitments are for the year 2050. So the timeline is even longer. I think that it's a good message. And I also think that we need to move faster because the issue is that there are emissions that we are not taking into account right now in the vision that we have of how much reductions in CO2 emissions we need to have in place to fulfill the Paris Climate Agreement and to avoid the worst consequences of global warming and climate change. 
So we need to move faster and I hope that we are able to accomplish that and the fact that the cost of renewable energy is being so cost competitive is something that could help to accelerate this transition. If I could give you a magic wand, where would you want us to be in say five years? What is your dream for renewable energy in five years? So we need to have in mind the vision of where we want to go because the progress that I'm seeing right now, it's very exciting. Like just the fact that I am on the street walking in my neighborhood and then I look at the roof of my neighbors and I see solar. That's exciting. (laughs) It didn't happen, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. It was not that common. But we are going through a moment in which we need to be doing things in a faster fashion. So what I would like to see, I would like to see that those fossil fuel plants that are being retired right now, what we use to replace them is solar energy with energy storage or wind energy, if wind energy is actually a better resource for the area where it needs to be Um, installed. That's one of the things that I hope to see. I hope to see that energy storage is being a larger part of the picture so that we are able to integrate larger amounts of renewable energy into the electric system. I want to see that the transportation sector gets decarbonized faster and to get there we need to transition faster to electric vehicles and not just for normal people like you and me, but like the public transportation sector, that's an important uh, one. And then we need to see larger investments in energy efficiency because electricity demand is going to keep on increasing because we have larger populations and because we are trying to decarbonize our system, right? So if we are talking about having electric vehicles, these vehicles will need to be charged. So we need to produce more electricity to charge those um, cars. Um, so we need to put larger, a larger amount of renewable energy in the system faster. Uh, and also uh, there are two things that are very important that start happening now. And hopefully in five years we have figured out how to do it in a better way. The first one is that we need to make sure that the clean energy uh, industry provides training and job opportunities for low-income communities, communities of color, uh, so that we are reflecting in the industry the communities that we are serving. And at the same time, we need to make sure that the benefits of having access to renewable energy, such as wind and solar power, are reaching communities that traditionally have been underserved, like low-income communities and communities of color. And then the other thing that is also very important in this transition away from fossil fuels is that utilities, coal companies, and policymakers engage meaningfully with key stakeholders that are being affected by this transition. For instance, coal-dependent communities, coal plant workers, 
and minority and low-income residents that live near the coal plants. Because we need to make sure that there are good transition plants in place before the coal plants are being closed. This for remediation, for redevelopment, and to provide local economic diversification, worker training, and the creation of new well-paying jobs. Well, Paula, I like your vision for renewable energy. It's all-inclusive, and I think that's really important. Thank you for joining us on the Got Science podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And now it's time for another example of sidelining science with Shreya Dervasala. If you live in the United States and you're able to access healthcare, you'd probably feel good knowing that your doctor had access to the latest data about effective medical treatments, tried and tested, and reflecting the most current evidence. You might even feel better knowing that all this information was compiled in a free federal database that was easy for doctors to use and unbiased by corporate influence. And finally, you might be pleased to learn that this database only costs the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services $1.2 million each year to maintain. That's the equivalent of just 28 soundproof phone booths for your publicly funded government office. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you're probably ready for me to tell you that the Trump administration has shut this database down. The site went dark in mid-July. The official reason given by Health and Human Services was lack of funding. The whole wealth of information is just gone. Guideline.gov was the official site of the National Guideline Clearinghouse, or NGC, which for the last 20 years, according to cardiologist Dr. Irving Kent Lowe, was, quote, regarded as the most reliable source of healthcare treatment information in the world, end quote. Dr. Lowe shared this view in an opinion column for the Ventura County Star. The benefits of such a database go far beyond convenience. For one, the information it supplied was impartial and not influenced at all by industries such as pharmaceutical companies. It was maintained by experts within medical specialties who reviewed treatment data across decades and countries and issued guidelines based on corroboration and evidence. And I'll give it back to Dr. Lowe for the final point. Quote, The quantity of medical information doubles at least every five years. No physician can keep up with all of it. And doctors are not trained to separate reliable data from garbage data. Just because it appears in a medical article does not make it so. New evidence constantly appears that changes the trajectory of therapeutic plans, sometimes even reversing the course itself. A busy doctor seeing as many patients as he or she can doesn't have the time to sort it all out. And search engines only give doctors lists and articles to read. They don't interpret the articles for validity. Shutting down the NGC was another manifestation of the Trump administration's attack on science, end quote. The information on guideline.gov is likely to resurface through some other gatekeeper, perhaps a private endeavor that would charge subscription fees. Such a paywall could harm the availability and the accessibility of the best available science to healthcare professionals. Hosting the site publicly was a sign of the U.S. government's commitment to supporting medical professionals with science and evidence. The Trump administration may claim they're cutting costs, but we know they're sidelining science. Well, that's it for this episode of Got Science. 
Special thanks to energy analyst Paula Garcia. Sidelining Science was brought to you by Shreya Dravasila. Editing and music by Brian Middleton. Writing and research by Pamela Worth. Our executive producer is Rich Hayes, and I'm your host, Colleen MacDonald. Thanks, and see you next time.